morning, everyone. We're continuing on in our sermon series called Life as It Should Be, um, and it's the series on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus lays out an alternative way of living. And this way of living is upside down, and it's inside out from the way that we usually approach life. It's upside down in the sense that when we look at our cultural values of power, wealth, popularity, influence, so on and so forth, Jesus comes and says, blessed are the poor. It's inside out in the sense that we tend to think of life as, it's all about my outward behavior. If only I can polish myself off and I can tick off all these boxes in my life and I can act a certain way, then I'll be good. And Jesus comes and says, it's your heart. It's the transformation of your heart that really counts the most. And as I was looking at the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety, and one of the things that struck me is the parallels between Moses and Jesus. Some people refer to Jesus as the new Moses. Um, it was Moses who went up to a mountain to receive the law, and it was Jesus who went up to the hill, sat down, and gave the law. And Jesus is teaching us a way that leads to eternal life. Like everything else that Jesus does that we read about in the Gospels, he's ultimately pointing to himself and saying, I'm not just here to give the law or explain the law or teach the law to you. I'm actually here to be the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. Everything laid out before you in the Sermon on the Mount is impossible for you to obey. So what do we do with that? Well, Jesus comes and says, I'm here to fulfill the Sermon on the Mount, and to, in, in essence, do it on your behalf. As a, by way of an analogy, let's suppose that all of us are students, and we're going to go to this really well-known class. It's, it's the buzz around this university. We're all about ready to go to first day of class, first day of semester. And the buzz about this class is, is you know, it's, it's called life as it should be, right? That's what the class is called. And we're all talking amongst ourselves, like, yeah, I heard this is the hardest class of the university, you know. I heard that, like, no one passes it, you know. And so there's all this talk around, like, what's this, what's this class going to be like? And it's like, I heard that in order to pass, you actually have to obey. You actually have to live this course. And so we're all nervous, but we're excited and so, so honored that we're even accepted to enter into this classroom. And the professor walks out, and he says, I just want to give you a, a warning that it's impossible to pass this class. Unless you surpass some of, the, some of the greatest professors that have ever come into this university, you're gonna fail. And to put it even more bluntly, you will fail. But out of love and compassion and mercy for you, I'm gonna work out a deal for you. What I'm gonna do during this class today is instead of teaching you something that you need to go and then do, I'm actually going to do the coursework in front of you, and you're going to watch me. And you're going to see this kind of life displayed before you. So get your notebooks out and get ready to learn, right? That's what the professor is saying. And he says, my deal to you is that if you see this life and you say, I want that kind of life, Come up to me after class and say that you want it, and I'll give it to you. So that kind of freedom is the kind of freedom that you and I have in Christ. 
We can look at the Sermon on the Mount and we can look at it as, oh man, I've got to obey all of this. What a heavy burden that would become, right? But if we approach it like this scenario, we're sitting in this class and we get to watch a life displayed before us, knowing that all we need to do is ask and he'll give us that life. What a different posture that would make towards looking at this material and trying to digest it, right? So if we're then free to enjoy the material or free to enjoy this new life, then obedience is going to look much different if, we're, if there's a sense of freedom, if we know that all we need to do is ask. This kind of obedience will have a different essence to it. So some of us might be able to technically, outwardly obey some of the Sermon on the Mount some of the time, or at least create an appearance like we're able to do it, but it's it's going to have a dryness to it. It's not going to have the kind of fragrance, the kind of artistry that God requires of us. It's the difference between a musician who learns how to play all the technical notes on a music sheet, some composition, but, and it's like technically, yeah, the notes are there, but it's lacking soul. It's lacking that something extra that music that, that makes music speak to you, you know? The artists, artists that we come to love, yeah, they can sing and they can sing in tune and they can play all the right notes, but there's something extra. There's the artistry that comes from them that, that counts the most, that makes us love, love music so much. It's been said that every form of music, no matter the genre, has its soul. Any good artist needs to learn technical skills of their instrument and follow those basic rules but then there's that certain something extra that makes us love our favorite artists. For example, somebody could spend their entire life trying to sing like Aretha Franklin. And they could, they could get the notes right on all of those songs. They could even get some rasp in their voice and all of that kind of thing, right? But they'll never be Aretha Franklin, right? So when we see the Sermon on the Mount, there's a sense in which we're saying, okay, I can try to obey this stuff, but there's something in the essence of Jesus' life. There's something in the essence of what he's requiring of us that I just can't get. So let's assume that we take the professor up on the offer, right? We see this life displayed before us. We look at the Sermon on the Mount laid on out before us, and we say, yes, I want so that sort of life too. Will you teach us, you know? So then let's imagine that the coursework is finished, it's on the desk, we open up somewhere in the middle because we're excited, you know, like there's a, you know, he's, he's basically saying like you can put your name on this course, you know, this perfect A plus course, your name can be put on it. So let's look at the, let's look at the material. We open it up and this is what we read. Matthew 7, 7 through 9. Jesus, the great professor in that great class says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you with glad hearts that we can be together. And there's such a strong sense that you've already been here with us. Thank you for awakening our hearts to faith, to bringing forth our needs for healing. 
I only ask, Lord God, that you would continue on in that same spirit with us today as we look closer at your word. I pray, Lord Jesus, that this would be an encouragement to, to, to everyone here. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we arrive at this place near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and we've gone through so many different sections about what not to do, right? Do not worry. Do not judge. Do not store up treasures. Do not be like the hypocrites. Do not lust, and so on. And so we arrive at this point in the scriptures where Jesus is simply saying, ask, and it'll be given to you. I want you to be encouraged today. We go through all of these things, you know. We've been reflecting on all of these things that Jesus has laid out before us. And there's kind of a feeling that I get in this section where he's saying, okay, now I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you to go, therefore go and obey. I'm going to tell you to ask, and it'll be given. In the middle of such hard teaching and commands, Jesus takes this break. What do you need? Ask for it, and it'll be given to you. It almost sounds too good to be true. And I don't want to poeticize my way around this simple and encouraging teaching. I believe in God's promises. I want to address these scriptures head on, and let's just see where God takes us. So I want to do this together. We've already been through a time of ministry where Chris led through times of prayer for healing. Perhaps that was for you, and I just want you to continue to hold that before the Lord. And if that wasn't for you, think of something that you need or you desire from God right now. It could be something big or it could be something small. And with that in mind, I want to examine ourselves before the scripture by asking three questions in light of what Jesus is saying. You're saying, I want this from God, and I haven't gotten it yet. The questions that we can ask ourselves are these. Number one, did you ask? Number two, have you continued to ask? And three, do you know who you're asking? So did you ask? I am the youngest in my family. I have two older sisters, wonderful family. And um, as the youngest in my family, I have this like kind of learned mentality towards life to just sort of let things happen, you know? Uh, for example, on family vacations, I have this image of me sitting in the back of the minivan, you know, parents up front, two sisters in the middle, and they just kind of decide everything. I'm in the back, you know, I probably got my Transformers, probably got some cool sunglasses, you know, as an 80s kid. Um, I was a pretty cool kid. Uh, and, um, you know, I would sit in the back of the minivan and I would just kind of ponder myself as I'm kind of playing with my toys or whatever. I wonder when we're going to stop for the bathroom. I don't know. It's for them to decide. Um, I wonder what we're going to have for lunch. I don't know. It's for them to decide, right? I'm the youngest. Who am I to say? I'm seven years old, you know, or whatever. Or where are we even going, right? 
looking out the window. Oh, Mount Rushmore. Oh, that's okay. That's nice. I'm glad they decided that for us, you know. That's, that's what you get when you're the youngest in the family. And I carry that mentality on to myself, even to this day, where I have a tendency, unless I'm intentional, to just sort of let life happen, just sort of have this kind of passivity towards life. And the, 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 the tendency is then for me to grow grumpy and to start complaining about what happens. You know, oh, Mount, Mount Rushmore? Why are we going to Mount Rushmore? You know, or it, later in life, it's like, why do I have this job? Or why isn't so-and-so, like, noticing me? Or why haven't I gotten a raise yet? Or whatever, you know? I just start complaining about life without realizing that I haven't asked. I haven't spoken up. I haven't let my desires be made known to other people, you know? Some people call that passive-aggressive, right? <laughs> sharing too much. Uh, sometimes I get this, you know, you know, sometimes when you see these tendencies in other people, I can then reflect it back to myself. It's like, ooh, that must be what I sound like, you know? Um, there's this wonderful mother uh, of, of a child with disabilities in the do-for-one community. Her name is Marion. And um, I, I love hearing from families within the do-for-one community. The families are some of the most incredible families you could ever meet. And um, uh, Marion has this tendency. I have a couple of stories to share about her this morning, and she gave me permission to share them. When Mar whenever Marion calls me on the phone, she has this tendency to say, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm so sorry to bother you. I know you're busy. You know? So I hear that same trepidation. It's like, That's what, that must be what I sound like, right? But my response to her is, you're no bother at all. I'm so happy to hear from you, Marion. What is it that I can do? That's what I'm here for, right? And that's, in essence, what Jesus is saying to us. Ask, and it'll be given to you. I want to know. I want to hear from you. What is it that you want from me? You're no bother to me. Come, disrupt what I've been doing over here. And I will stop everything, and I will bend down, and I will listen to you. What is it that you want? Do you need a job? Ask me. Do you need guidance? Ask me. Do you need healing? Ask. You applied for this college, and you want to be accepted. Knock on the door. Plead before me. Let your request be made known to me. I want to hear from you. That's what Jesus is saying. And I know this is so simple, but it needs to be said. We need to ask. We need to seek. We need to knock. Speaking of phone calls, I avoided answering somebody's question the other day. Because you might be sitting here thinking, well, I have asked, you know, and God has not responded to me. I was on the phone with somebody in our community again. Um, uh, this guy is somebody who wears his heart on his sleeve he can't help but be brutally honest all of the time. You know exactly what he's thinking. You know exactly what he wants, when he wants it. So it's always a, a joy and a journey to have these conversations with this guy. <laughs> Some might say it's because of his intellectual impairments that he doesn't pick up on social cues, and so he'll, he'll just, he can't help himself, but just let, him, let, him, let himself be known. But I happen to think that he has an endowment from the Holy Spirit to speak wisdom and truth into people's lives. His name is Devin. He also gave me permission to tell this story. 
Devin helps MC our Do For One orientations, um, which uh, Denise mentioned. So if you come to our orientation, you'll have a chance to meet Devin. And he'll speak his mind to you. You'll know what he's thinking. Anyway, I called him to set up a time to go and visit with his family. I actually just visited with his family yesterday. So I was calling to make that plan. Uh, to visit with his family along with his voluntary advocate. And right in the middle of me trying to set up a time, you know, when would be good for us to come, he changed the subject abruptly and he said, so I have another question for you. You know, about that orientation that's coming up that I'm in, in seeing for. And I said, yeah. And he said, so I was wondering, you know, if we could meet up for dinner beforehand. You know, like we usually do. This, this had become a tradition for us, to have dinner before the orientations. And if, if I'm honest with you, I sighed a little bit because I'm, I'm playing out this weekend, that, that, this, this next coming weekend, and I'll be away for a work trip. I'll be just getting back. I'll be catching up on work. And I thought, oh, man, it's going to be tough to fit in this dinner and then have the orientation. So I did what any good guy would do, and I changed the subject. <laughs> I said, mm, let me think about it, and I'll get back to you. <laughs> it's very... Yeah, it's, it's very Andrew of me, you know. you got to watch out for me in that way. Uh, and uh, so, then I, so then I bring it back to the original uh, reason I called. And in the middle of my sentence to try to bring it back to the topic at hand, he said, so just so that we're clear, you're going to get back to me about that dinner plan, right? And I said, yeah. So then I finally kind of wrapped up what I had intended to call for, and I said, all right, great. Well, I should be going now. And he said, hold on right there just a minute. <laughs> he said, are we going to have dinner on Monday night, yes or no? <laughs> so long pause of silence. I look at my Google calendar. And I said, how's 530? Why do you think I finally gave in to answering him and to saying yes? Why do you think I did that? On one hand, if I'm honest, I kind of just needed to get off the phone. <laughs> but the real reason is that the more he asked, the more my heart was won over to my friendship with him. Every time he brought it back up, I heard it in his heart how much it would mean to him to spend time with me. And again, that's the same thing that Jesus asks of us. So you say, I've asked. I still haven't heard from God. And the second question is, have you continued to ask? In Luke, Jesus teaches the same kind of point, but before he goes into the ask, seek, knock part, um, he says this, and we have this on a slide. Luke 11, verse 5 through 8. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship... Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So in that passage, he goes on, Jesus goes on to say, ask and it will be given to you. 
and so on. And the key word I love here that I want to focus on is shameless audacity. The New Living Translation says shameless persistence. And what's also interesting that I noticed too is he says not because of friendship, but because of your shameless audacity. This should be an encouragement to those of you who might think to yourself, man, I've been lacking in obedience lately. I'm feeling very far from God lately. Jesus is saying, it's not because of friendship, it's because of shameless audacity. And this should be humbling for those of us who think that we have some kind of extra merit before God because we've been so good. It's not because of that, it's because of what Christ has done on our behalf. It's because of the great professor who's done the coursework for us. All he's saying is, it's a gift, here you go. That should be humbling for those of us who think that we have some kind of like front seat or something like that with Jesus. It's because of shameless audacity. It's Christ's work on our behalf that removes the shame, which allows us to know that we can go banging on his door at 3 a.m., and he would be delighted to open the door and give us the bread. He's saying, interrupt what I'm doing. He's saying, wake me up, and I'll be delighted to hear from you. You say, oh, yeah, but God is holy, and we need to be reverent. That's true, but it also says in Hebrews 10 that we are to enter in the most holy place with boldness, with confidence, by the blood of Jesus. That's where we get our shameless audacity from. Some of the greatest stories within the Do For One community that I could ever tell are of the stories of Chantel. Chantel is a, is some, is a member of Hope Astoria. Some of you might know her. We have a picture of Chantel with this family that you can put up. Um, Chantel is the one in the red dress to the left of that picture. Chantel is an advocate to Michelle, the daughter of Mother Marion. Marion is the mother I mentioned earlier. And um, they actually both have some disabilities, and they're extremely vulnerable. They rely on each other for care. And um, six years ago, Chantel met Marion and Michelle actually at Allie and I's apartment. This was early days of Do For One. We used to ho host these game nights and dinners and things like that, and they met, and they became friends, and then they became like family. Uh, during COVID, Marion was hospitalized, leaving Michelle, who depends on her mother's care, to be placed in a separate nursing home while Marion was, was recovering. Chantel, being Chantel, she drove between the two hospitals that Marion and Michelle were, were, were currently at, and she was pleading to the social workers on both ends that when Marion is good enough to recover, don't put them in a nursing home, let them come home, and me and my family will be sure that they're well taken care of and that they recover. Because uh, Chantel knew that if Marion ended up going to a nursing home, that the mother and the daughter could very well be separated into two separate nursing homes. And when you go into a nursing home, a lot of times you're put into a new system and it can be very difficult to get back out. So the risk there was that Marion and Michelle could have been separated for the rest of their lives. Chantel knew this and she knew the urgency of it. So she said, you know, make, make sure that they come home and my family, will, will, my family and I will take care of them. And when Chantel told me this story, I said, you know, what did you say to the doctors to convince them to let them be discharged to you? You know, you're not even family. Didn't they ask, like, who are you to these people? You know, that's usually what they ask if you're in a hospital. And, and how are you related to this patient? And Chantel said, I just acted really confident. 
She said, I knew their birthdays. I knew where, they were, where they're from. I knew everything about them. Honestly, I think they thought I was family. And I love the parallel to what Jesus says is it's not because of friendship, right? With Chantel and Mar- Michelle and Marion, it's not because they were blood-related family, but it's because of Chantel's shameless audacity to just burst forth and let love lead the way, never mind all the bureaucracy, and say, these people are my friends, and they're going to come home, and I'm going to make sure that they're taken care of. Shameless audacity. And in the same way, God asks us to approach him that way, to say, never mind all of the right things to say in prayer. Never mind that you're a busy God and you have all these other things to take care of. I need your attention, God. This is what I need. That's what God is inviting us into. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't matter how big or how small. He's delighted to hear from you. Luke 18 illustrates this, and I'm just going to let this scripture speak for itself, just for time's sake. There's a lot here, but I'm just going to read it. Hopefully it can also be an encouragement to you. Luke 18, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That last line really stands out to me. I don't know about you. Will he find faith on earth? It's faith that's required, you know. To have that shameless audacity before God, what's required is believing that Christ has covered us in his righteousness and therefore we can come boldly before him. But honestly, maybe this is the younger sibling in me, (laughs) I have a hard time with this aspect of Jesus' teaching because from my standpoint, I don't know about you, but it sounds like he's like asking us to be rude and annoying, you know. Um, to impose ourselves and demand what we want. And, you know, I never really liked the squeaky wheel types. And yet, I don't know what else we can get from these passages except be a squeaky wheel before God. And some of you can say, yes, amen, it's true. I can tell you story after story of God breaking through in my life when I've pled before him. And I can tell you some stories too. Oh, how faithful God has been to Allie and I. In so many ways, we've seen him break through time and time again. But let's be real. There's also things in our lives that we've asked and we've kept asking, and still we don't know what God is doing. I have a lot of those things in my life too. So what do we do with that? The best way I can study this scripture, I want to offer some counsel, some encouragement, First of all, what do we do, right? Well, keep asking, right? Keep asking. 
Let's keep asking. You haven't heard from God yet? Keep asking. But as you ask, pay close attention to what God is doing in you. Keep asking him, but notice how he's changing you as you ask. And as he changes you, notice how your prayers might just start to sound different. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you might even start to change what you're asking for. Jesus is not a genie, right? He's not just somebody who's going to just kind of give, give you these little wishes. Ultimately, what Jesus is doing is he's leading us in the way of everlasting. He's leading us to eternal life, which means that what he's doing in your life sometimes is beyond us, beyond what we can fully understand. Just a couple of examples in my life. Those of you who are single right now, I remember praying persistently, time after time, that I could find my spouse. And when I would meet this person and that person, I'd say, Lord, let it be them. Lord, let it be them. And I remember, and you could find it in journals, their names written down, Lord, let it be them, right? Can you relate to that? God paid attention to my desire and my need. Absolutely. I remember experiencing a great sense of intimacy with him in those prayers, but I was asking for the wrong people. And I'm so glad I was wrong because I eventually met Allie, my beloved wife. God blessed me far beyond what I could have ever imagined. I'm glad I was wrong. By the way, if you want to learn prayer, don't talk to me. Talk to my wife. You know, in our apartment, there's an entire wall in one of our rooms with cards, with names and prayer requests under it. I mean, really, it's like all over. Some of your names are on it. She prays and she prays and she prays. No offense to these other people that I prayed for, but they don't, they're not praying like she's praying. <laughs> you know what I mean? God has a plan for you that far exceeds what you could ask for yourself. Those of you who are in search of purpose or calling, I remember praying before God and pleading that I could have some kind of music career in New York City. That's why I moved here. And God didn't answer that prayer. And I'm glad he didn't because I can't tell you how overjoyed I am that I get to do the kind of work that I get to do. For me and the way God made me, it's so much more enjoyable and so much more uh, rewarding than any kind of music career could ever be. But let's face it, there are far greater needs that you may be asking God right now. There might be things that are causing you or your loved ones a great deal of suffering. I have some of those things too. Where do we go from there? I don't know exactly what, where God is or what he's doing in my life in some ways. And I'm aware by now that I very well could be asking God for the wrong things. 
But it seems as though God is asking us to be like children before him. I might be asking for the wrong things, but all I know to do right now is to keep asking for the wrong things and pay attention to how God might be transforming me as I'm being a child before him. Keep asking with shameless audacity. But notice how he changes us in the process. Johnny Erickson Tata talks to people often about why she thinks God did not heal her of her paralysis. And what I love about Johnny Erickson Tata, if you ever have a chance to listen to some of her messages and some of her testimony, you should go and do it. She doesn't even sugarcoat her answer when people ask. She doesn't pretend like she knows exactly what God is even up to. But she's a living example of what it looks like to be transformed through suffering. This is what she says. She says, for the last 50 years in my wheelchair, I've been daily dying to self and rising with Christ. I've been daily dying to self and rising with Christ. She says it again. I've been daily dying to self and rising with Christ. That sounds like a life that's been transformed, and it sounds like a life who has eternity ultimately on her mind. So I've had to learn to embrace any season of life where I'm praying for things, where I need things, and to ultimately see it as a season of God calling me into greater intimacy with him. There's been times in my life where I have progressions of prayers that are like, you know, a little bit like this. It's like, Lord, Lord, you know, give me this. Lord, I want this thing. You know, the next day or week goes by, Lord, where are you? Why haven't you given me this thing? And then moments, moments later, you know, a few months go by, it's like, Lord, I don't know why you haven't given me this thing, but I've grown to really love you more, and I've grown to trust you more. And maybe, maybe you'll give me this thing, right? But ultimately, what I want more than that thing is you. Ultimately, what I want more than anything in this life is to be close to you. And I go through these busy seasons in my life, and I'm out in the city, and I'm out worried about this thing or that thing. Lord, and when I come home, and I sit before you, and I bring my request before you, there's no other place I would rather be. Have you ever had a prayer, like a season of prayer like that? I think that's a part of the reason why God says, keep asking with shameless audacity. Keep coming before me. So my last effort to encourage you today is the question, do you know who you're asking? Let's read a couple of verses. Matthew 7, uh, 9 through 11. Jesus says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I think the parent-to-child analogy is so helpful to us here. You know, God as the Father and us as the children. Now, children ask for things for their parents all the time that they don't get. Over time, they get more yeses from parents because they start to learn more about their parents. They start to learn more about what their parents say yes to and what they say no to. And through that, they start to learn the basics of what they, in turn, need, what's best for them. So as we learn more about God through prayer, we also learn more about what we really need. And this is ultimately an act of trust and faith that God knows best. And parents ignore requests from children all the time. But good parents don't ignore their child's need, right? So we might have specific requests, and sometimes we get them, sometimes we don't. But what God is ultimately listening to is that deeper need. 
For example, let's say a mother and a daughter are at the Bronx Zoo, and the child says, hey, mom, look at that polar bear. Could we have one for a pet? And of course, the mother is going to say, well, the mother is not going to say, yes, of course, sweetie, anything you want. Let's take that polar bear home, right? Because I love you, you know, anything you want. She's going to say, no, honey, we can't have those types of animals for a pet. But maybe we could get a fish or a dog or a cat, right? That's a parent listening to the, to the desire of their child's, you know, what their child wants, but trying to help them, re-guide them, right? Re-guide them for what would be best. Or she might be thinking to herself, oh, my sweet child wants to have fun. And we can't even afford a fish right now to have, to have her a pet. But how about, sweetheart, how about we go to the, pet, to, the, to the gift store when we're done with the zoo, and we'll get yourself one of those stuffed polar bears. And you can have that for, you, you can put it in your bed and you can sleep with it at night, right? Or if the mother's really sophisticated, she might say, maybe, honey, maybe one day when you grow up, you'll realize that not only are polar bears not meant for pets, but they also really shouldn't be in the zoo either. So maybe you'll grow up and be an animal activist, right? Or the child says, can I have chocolate for dinner tonight? And the parent says, no, but how about a scoop of ice cream after you have your vegetables? That's a parent that's ignoring the specific request, but seeing the need and responding. So over time, children learn. They start saying, mommy, after I have my vegetables, can I have some ice cream? Right? The child learns the parent's ways, and by doing that, they learn what's best for them. So I'm going to start wrapping things up. The worship team can come forward. Um, so that's why we wrestle in prayer. You know, in prayer, we are always clueless as a little child because ultimately what God is doing is he's leading us in the way everlasting. And who can fathom that, right? We're, we're approaching the God that has knowledge far greater than what we could ever possess. And so in that same way, we are approaching God and sometimes we're asking for polar bears for pets. And we're so convinced that we're right, just like the child is so convinced that they're right. So we keep coming with shameless audacity. You might be asking for the specifically the wrong thing, but God even says, yes, keep, keep coming, keep coming. But for you, pay attention to how he's transforming you in those prayers. And the key to this, I think, is renewing our understanding in the belief and that our faith in that God is good and he wants good things for us. I have to confess to you, I have one more confession about me, is that uh, in my head at times, I have this image of God, like, he's kind of annoyed with me, you know? Like, like the, you know, like the, the, the persistent widow that, that Jesus tells about. In my mind, when I read that, I'm thinking, oh man, but that's, that's like nails on a chalkboard. I don't want to be like that towards God. And so I have this image in my, in my mind that God is kind of rolling in his eyes when I come with requests, like, oh, what is it again, Andrew? What do you need? You know, But I need God's grace to help me see God as good, see God as an eager, wonderful Father who responds with delight when I come to Him. Do you know that God delights in you? Do you know that God delights when you come with your requests? So let's come before Him now with our requests. And as we ask Let's wait with great expectation that he will answer, 
Not only will he answer, but he will transform us in the way everlasting as we ask. Can we stand if you're able? I'd like to lead us in a time of prayer before Chris comes up and leads us in, um, in a communion. What is it that you've come in here with today? Bring it before God like a child. Dear Lord, we come to you right now in Jesus' name, and we know that you are a great almighty God who has many, many things going on. You have a lot of things on your plate, Lord. You hold the whole universe in your hands. And yet, according to your word, you say, interrupt what I'm doing and ask me. So God, we come before you right now and we bring our requests before you. Heal me, Lord. God, I'm bleeding. God, I'm suffering. Answer me, God. Lord, I have a loved one who's sick. I'm pleading before you that you would touch them and heal them. God, I'm depressed. Would you be the lifter of my soul each and every day? Would you get rid of my mental illness, God? Would you heal me, Lord? Would you provide for me and my family financially, Lord? What is it that you've come here with? Lord, we bring it to you with shameless audacity. We reach out, God, and we touch your robe. You're able to hear each and every one of us. There's a sense in which you hear all of us all at once, but you're also listening to us one by one. We don't know how you do that, but we know you do that. We thank you that you are an amazing God. Would faith arise from within all of us today? We'd be more like children, that you would increase our faith, and that we would find that quiet place at our homes put our requests on the wall and say, God, answer me. In Jesus' name we pray.